Hey everybody, how's it going? We're going to be having our discussion-based podcast today. I'm going to get back to a little bit of the case study review where we're going to be going over ankle sprains, both with an acute perspective and almost like a chronic laxity perspective. Go over a couple examples of cases and what you could do for them. This is going to be good if you're someone who's suffering ankle sprains and just give you some tidbits of things to look at. Also, if you're someone training or treating someone with ankle sprains, some things to look at. Before we get going, just kind of some logistics stuff. As always, if you're listening to this, really appreciate it. I t- appreciate you taking the time to go over to iTunes or whatever platform you're using and give a review. Um, also, as things continue to build, keep checking website and things like that for more content. Um, and if you ever have topics that want to be discussed or people you want to be interviewed, feel free to reach out, shoot an email. Easiest way to email me is nickh at capacitypt.com. Um, but again, really appreciate everybody's feedback and listening. So we'll kind of get into it today. So just to set the baseline, right? So ankle sprain, inversion, ankle sprain, you're typically going to be straining one, two, or three of the anterior lateral ligaments usually lead to laxity of that anterior lateral column. And you kind of have some issues because when the ankle ligaments get sprained, they never heal back to their original length. And you have this prolonged laxity leading to chronic ankle sprains. So let's deal with the first case. Let's say you have a 15-year-old high school basketball player comes down from a rebound, does that inversion ankle sprain. It was a contact-based mechanism of injury. If you're privileged enough to get out there on the court and actually do acute care, you could do this stuff, but maybe you're in the clinic and you won't see them until maybe one or two days afterwards. Usually when you're in the clinic and seeing them that acutely, they probably have some pretty prolonged swelling sitting in. Um, And just to not go too far down a tangent, but... Hopefully at this point you're learning that the Rice principle behind acute care management is a little bit dated. So with the Rice principle, we've learned that rest, elevation, compression is actually not that good. The ice actually restricts blood flow, restricts healing, slows down the healing cascade. The ice actually does not limit swelling because the second you take off the ice, the body sends more swelling to it. Um, there's a really good podcast uh, on Eric Cressy's podcast about the kind of the whole idea of icing and modalities of icing to treat acute pain. Um, don't want to get too far down that, but don't be icing the acute pathologies. Ideally, you want to be adding compression. You could do a voodoo floss band, an ace wrap. You want to be doing active pumping. If you have like a Mark Pro or something like that where you could slap it on and actively pump the ankle joint for four to six hours, that would be ideal. Depending on the severity of the ankle sprain, You could have them do low resistance biking. You could have them do your ankle pumps, but they really need to get that ankle moving right after the ankle sprain 24 to 48 hours as often as you can. So, I mean, four or five hours of constant ankle pumping. The question is why, right? So you're going to be doing this natural cycling process of blood flow. You're going to be getting rid of old blood, bringing in new blood. You're going to be bringing in new healing agents and assisting the lymphatic drainage system. So that's why the active component of that acute care management is so important. But if you're seeing them in the clinic, they have that puffy ankle, maybe some black and blue showing up. Don't give up on that process, even though you're behind the ball a little bit. 
kinesio tape for swelling is awesome. Actually putting it on the peripheral skin, 5 to 10% tension, and really following the pathway of the lymphatic. So on the inversion ankle sprain, most of the swelling is going to be along the outer ankle from the heel even out to the distal fifth ray. So you want to obviously put the kinesio tape where the swelling is, but try to bias it towards the medial aspect of the ankle um, and obviously superior where the lymphatic system is going. You can do effleurage and massage, but again, kind of the big thing is get that active motion pumping as quickly as you can. And if that's something you're going to give for exercise, do that right away. Again, the active motion can vary on the severity where if they can tolerate weight bearing, it's a little bit lower end of an ankle sprain. You could do closed chain active pumping. You could do more aggressive cycling, but that repetitive active pumping is key. What do we want to try to work on mechanically, right? So we still have this acute patient. You're not going to get in there and do a grade five manip. You're not going to get in there and do high end grass. And if that's something you want to do, you're not doing plyos at that point. So what you want to be doing is really restoring two things, right? So one of the things that really gets off its plane of motion or what we would call is off axis. <clears throat> and what that means is the talus, sorry, gets off axis. So instead of the talus sitting in the mortise, so sitting underneath the distal tibia and fibula and centered, it t tends to sit laterally, right? You sprain the lateral ligaments, you lose some of that passive lateral stability. The talus can then glide laterally because there's nothing really stopping it. So you want to try to get that talus to center. So doing a lateral to medial shear on that talus, and if you're interested to see what that looks like, feel free to direct message me or ask questions and I can describe more. The other key thing is to really set that fibula. So we know we have this lateral laxity, so we want to set that talus and if need be, tape it. We also have laxity of the fibula because that's where a lot of these ligaments are attaching. So that fibula will glide inferior and typically uh, anterior and again kind of pinch the ankle and actually limit eversion because the fibula will block the calcaneus from everting. <clears throat> so we want to try to get that fibula to glide superior and get out of the way. So you can have the patient go prone and do almost like a superior fibular glide with dorsiflexion. You could tape the fibula into like a superior posterior glide. But if you can get that fibula to get back on axis, get that talus back on axis, tape it, mobilize it, teach them ways to mobilize it. It creates a healing environment that is, not to repeat myself, but on axis. So you're creating a healing environment to the ligaments to scar down in a position that they should be scarring. You're going to create a healing environment to allow proper neuromuscular control. So again, with these acute patients, acute ankle sprains, I think the biggest things are that active pumping to promote quick recovery. And there's really cool stories where if you do the Mark Pro or you get your active pumping going, you can actually, you know, have people return from hamstring strains and seven to 10 days versus six to eight weeks if you really handle that acute phase appropriately. And then the other key thing is to get things on axis. So that would be your, hey, two, three, four, or five days out from acute ankle sprain, you're just dealing with it or you're training it, treating it. How do we handle it? I think the ones that get a little bit more tricky 
are more of these chronic subluxers. They're going to have all those same acute problems outside of the swelling, but they're probably going to have that talus off axis. They're probably going to have that fibula off axis. So you need to work on all that stuff. But then you got to get to almost what started to happen in the kinetic chain. So if they've sprained two, three, four, sometimes even up to 20 times, you're going to have changes elsewhere, right? <clears throat> so they're probably going to be hanging out on the lateral column of their foot. If you stand up, if you have the ability while you're listening to this, and just hang out on the lateral column of your foot, you can see how that would affect almost the entire kinetic chain. It would lead to a varus or bow leg motion of the knee. It's going to lead to a little bit of like a pelvic shear or shift to that side. It's going to lead to that hip getting off axis and not being centered and actually almost living in a little bit of an external rotation patterning typically then leading to some glute weakness. But again, when we get to these people, you got to get the ankle on axis. So talus, fibula, probably a little bit of calcaneal eversion as well. But then you got to address that kinetic chain. So something that they're going to lack is that control of getting weight into that medial column of your foot. So your first raid. That's where your short foot exercises, your heel raises, ensuring first raid loading are key, your gait and your retro gait exercises of getting used to kind of loading that medial column, your single leg squats, single leg step downs, clock reaches, Y balance exercises, all again emphasizing that tripod of the foot and ensuring they're not going to that lateral column of the foot. And I've seen and I've done myself where people will actually... <clears throat> bias people into going into that lateral column or force them into bad postures so they have to correct by using a slant board or other tools to really force them into bad positions so they learn and can feel the bad positions and can correct for it. Um, if we start to move up the kinetic chain, another group of muscles that starts to get influences outside of the calf is the hamstring complex. So the hamstrings control the tibia. Tibia often gets into this almost external rotation patterning. The hamstring, particularly the medial bundle, will get lengthened and weakened. So starting to control tibial rotation with knee flexion and extension is important. So doing hamstring bridges, single leg RDLs, kickstand deadlifts, uh, even doing seated tibial rotations, or they have a cool way of doing it in the FRC world where they're kind of hugging the femur as you can almost do like uh, tibial cars, controlled articular rotations where you're kind of rotating that tibia in 360 degrees. Um, but in ankle straining patients, we often think glute weakness because of hip instability. We also have to think about hamstring. If we go up the kinetic chain and we get into the hip, yes, your hip rotators are important, your hip stabilizers are important, that's kind of obvious with everybody. But for the ankle sprain person, again, it's getting to controlling that frontal plane. So can they control the tripod of their hip with lateral squats, lateral lunges, lateral bounds, even at diagonals and things like that, trying to learn how to control the frontal plane and loading of the foot. Um, and a great way of training these chronic ankle sprains, obviously you can do all these lunges and plyos and different things like that, but <clears throat> is creating instability and unpredict instability, excuse me, in unpredictable environments. 
so one way I like to do that is the earthquake bar or putting therabands on the ends of bars with weights on the end. So you have this bar that's actually unstable and can they control that unstable bar? Obviously a wobble board would be great because it creates an unstable environment, but still a firm surface to get that reactionary force up into the foot. You could challenge the visual system. You could challenge their head neck position, but creating variable loads to those single leg loading positions to again, get that reactionary feed forward mechanism of stabilizing the foot ankle. And I think where we get into issues with these chronic ankle sprain people is we <clears throat> almost make it too cookie cutter. You know, we see those people in the clinic, they go, okay, you're just gonna do a whole bunch of glute work a whole bunch of dorsiflexion work. And often with these chronic ankle sprainers, <clears throat> they have plenty of dorsiflexion, and that's not the issue. They've got decent hip stability, meaning they can do a bridge well, but they don't actually know how to access, uh, access their hip control functionally. Um, so try to step out of your comfort zone. Try to get out of the box of just treating everything the same. And <clears throat> uh, start you know, addressing the person in front of you. And the last thing I want to talk about with the whole acute and chronic ankle instability are the use of brace and supports. So I'm kind of a firm believer that an ankle brace, if anything, can make you worse rather than better. So if I have, I particularly work with a lot of basketball players, if I have them, have them have ankle sprains, usually I tell them I don't want them wearing their ankle braces as often as possible. So if that's where they have comfort, confidence, support, I understand it. And I'll say, okay, wear it during games or if we're doing you know, full court scrimmages and contact exercises or contact drills, wear it. But if we're in the gym training, if you're warm up training, if you're doing stuff off the court, I want you to not have that ankle brace because it creates almost passive support that the body accommodates to and eventually just becomes weak. If I'm going to do anything, I think taping has a role, even though it's only going to add stability for 10 to 20 minutes. And I'm almost more of a fan of just simple compression, like a neoprene wrap. But ankle sprains are inevitable, but it's really the ones that we want to try to prevent chronic ankle sprains. So again, start addressing some of this stuff. Start to think about that just acute healing cascade and how we handle, try to get out of that rice principle and get more into active recovery. And think about the mechanics both locally and globally when we're trying to address more of these chronic cases. Um, so that's our kind of ankle discussion. We'll have another case discussion, probably something upper quarter coming up. But uh, hopefully you enjoyed it and learned a couple of things. And uh, take care.